Hello, and welcome to this week's Arab Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest. My guest today is Aviv Tatarsky, a researcher with Ir Amim, an NGO whose mission is to render Jerusalem a more equitable city for the Israelis and Palestinians who share it. Aviv, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Bill. How are you? Good, thank you. And thanks for talking to us. Uh, can you tell our listeners about your organization, Ir Amim, and how it's going about its mission to make Jerusalem a more equitable city for all its residents? Right, so Ir Amim uh, is Hebrew for a city of nations or city of peoples, and that's our vision for Jerusalem. So if the situation today is a, a binational city controlled by Israel with all the political and other power concentrated on the Israeli side, we want to see uh, Jerusalem as a city of both uh, Israelis and Palestinians, not only in terms of uh, human rights, but also collective rights, collective identity. Uh, we, were, we, we were set up just over 20 years ago uh, with the idea of uh, ending the occupation, uh, arriving at a Palestinian uh, state alongside Israel uh, with, uh, with two capitals, Israeli capital, and Palestinian capital in Jerusalem. Since today, uh, we're <laughs> further than ever from, uh, from that vision, we, we have to, Iramim has to work on the reality in Jerusalem as a city with all the discrimination and violence and oppression that uh, the situation of Israeli occupation uh, entails. And, uh, you know, the last time I was in Jerusalem, uh, you see that... Uh, violation of Palestinian rights every day, don't you? Yeah, the, the, um, I think for a Palestinian in Jerusalem, for example, almost every aspect of life is affected by, by the fact that uh, they live under Israeli control. It has to do with the services or lack of, or not complete lack, but uh, discrimination in services. It has to do with police violence. It has to do with your home that can be taken away from you, every aspect, each and every aspect. Now, one of the issues you're dealing with, Aviv, is the Palestinian village of Al-Walajay. The community there is facing the demolition of their homes. Where is Al-Walajay and what is the story behind it? Right. So Al-Walajay is right at the edge of Jerusalem. It's on the south edge of the city between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And um, actually, Walaje is right on the green line, the, the armistice uh, border between Israel and Jordan following the 1948 war. And uh, Walaje's history goes back centuries, but in terms of the conflict, actually, uh, it's a village that was uprooted in the Nakba in the 1948 war, uh, lost most of its uh, lands that were included in the state of Israel that was formed following the war. A, a smaller part of uh, village lands remained on the, in the area controlled by Jordan, and that's where the refugees, or part of them, were able to build the current Walaje. So yeah, so originally the original location of the built-up village was on the north of the uh, Green Line, Today, it's just on the, over the south of the Green Line. And in 1967, of course, the village, like the whole of the West Bank, 
came under Israeli occupation, uh, because of the vicinity to Jerusalem, it was included by Israel, or at least the northern part of the village was included by Israel in the area next to Jerusalem. Today, if we look today at the village, uh, it is one village, about 3,000 uh, people living in it. Its northern part is annexed to Jerusalem. Israel considers it as part of the state of Israel. And its southern part, the two parts are adjacent to each other. They're actually, it's one whole village, but the southern part of it was not annexed. And today it's considered Area C. It's under the control of the Israeli army. So... You have a divided village, one part within the city of Jerusalem, that's in the north, and the other part in the south, outside uh, Jerusalem city boundaries. Aviv, tell me about the community, the, the people of uh, Walajay. Right, so Walajay, uh, it's, it's an amazingly beautiful place. People there, you know, they have all kinds of uh, jobs, but uh, some of them are, are farmers. And the, the, what's most noticeable about Walaje are the agricultural terraces, which are just amazing. Uh, currently, at, as we are speaking, it's the season of the blossom of almond trees here. So the hills in Walaje are, are really, really staggering, beautiful, but all year round. And uh, Al-Walaje, they have been preserving traditional Palestinian agriculture. So to this day, the agriculture in Walaje is not industrial agriculture. There's no uh, heavy equipment involved. Irrigation is done from spring water. Uh, cultivation is by hand uh, and with uh, mules and, and so on. And there's a lot of ancient knowledge regarding farming. And actually, this form of life of an agricultural community living inside say, agricultural lands, that was once very common to the whole uh, Jerusalem area. It all but, but disappeared, some of it because of the you know, occupation and the, and the expulsion and so on, some of it just because of modernization and urbanization and so on. And Walaje is actually the last remaining place in Jerusalem of such an uh, agricultural heritage. It's a rich heritage and it's something that uh, really deserves uh, protection and preservation. Mm, something, as you say, to preserve and, and not to destroy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really rich, you know, it's beautiful and the people have a lot of knowledge and there's a whole culture of life around it. It's, uh, it's something amazing. And in that portion, which is in the north, I mean, there have been attempts by the villagers to secure a planning a process. What's happened with that? Right. Being under Israeli law uh, means all kinds of things. One means that the Israeli planning and building law is enforced. You know, the law in itself, it's nothing special about it. You, you, you want to build a home, you need to get a building permit. And the building permit is contingent on having a, an outline plan for the area where you want to build. Only thing is, Israel never made an outline plan for the Jerusalem part of Walajeh. Okay, so the, the, before we get into all the details, it means that since 1967, Walajeh residents in Jerusalem have no ability to receive building permits. They don't have any ability to build 
according to the Israeli law. And therefore, people had to build, they didn't have a choice but to build, and all the construction for the last 54 years is considered by Israel illegal. Coming back to your question, this is despite the fact that the community itself uh, said, okay, we will, the, the, the Israel is not doing it, so we will try and do it. They initiated an outline plan, but Israeli authorities refused to approve it. And uh, what does that refusal mean to the people of Al-Walaja who are inside the uh, boundary, the city boundary of Jerusalem? It means all kinds of things. The issue of uh, discrimination in planning is something uh, very central to the occupation in East Jerusalem because uh, Israel envisions itself, Israel calls itself a Jewish and democratic state. And uh, the capital, Jerusalem being the capital, then of course it must have a character, a Jewish character. And uh, it means all kinds of things, but for Israeli policymakers, for the Israeli government, one of the central things it means, there needs to be a very big Jewish majority in Jerusalem. Now, with the annexation, Israel chose to annex uh, areas and Palestinian population to Jerusalem. Today, Palestinians make up nearly 40% of the population of Jerusalem. So this is very much at odds with the vision or the the belief of uh, the the state of Israel as what Jerusalem should look like. This was uh, seen as an issue as early as 1967. And Israel decided to control Palestinian demographics, or at least to to try and control them in Jerusalem through planning and building policy, meaning uh, either don't make uh, outline plans or make outline plans that allow for limited scope of construction. So so the problem of having great difficulties in uh, receiving building permits and being forced to either leave Jerusalem, which is the idea of you know, this policy, control demographics, or stay in Jerusalem and build without a permit is something that many, like many, majority of East Jerusalemites face. In Wallace, it's an extreme case that it's not an, an insufficient outline plan. No outline plan was made for the Wallace community. So it's, it's really, a, it's a powerful weapon you're saying. In many senses, it's effective. You see how it pushes uh, out tens of thousands of Palestinians either to the remote edges of Jerusalem or out of East Jerusalem into the not annexed parts of the West Bank. And uh, Israel can claim that, uh, you know, it's not uh, that, uh, I don't know, Israeli soldiers came and ordered Palestinians to get out of Jerusalem can claim that it's there there's a planning and building policy everything is done according to the book and the uh, people you know they 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 shouldn't be allowed to build without a permit and uh, and so on so uh catch 22 a classic one no outline plan approved even though the villagers have uh, prepared one no planning permission uh, therefore no permits issued therefore any palestinian homes that are built in alwalaje are illegal. Um, how did you get involved in the struggle for Al-Walaje? Right. So I arrived in Al-Walaje uh, when I, 
just like as a Jerusalem resident, as an activist, not, not, not as part, I wasn't working in Iramim then, when the separation barrier began to be constructed in the village, like in uh, 2010. So the, 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 the separation barrier, Israel uh, sees it as a, a form of preventing maybe Palestinians who want to attack Israel is preventing them from uh, entering uh, Israel, entering uh, Jerusalem. There is a whole debate about it, but certainly the issue, the, the issue of the root of the barrier, how the root is, uh, is chosen, in Walaje, you see that it's not only a security issue, there are certainly political issues in choosing the route. Israel built the separation barrier on Walaje lands as close as it could to the built-up area of, of the village, which is, means uh, creating a lot of harm to the community. It was built on uh, agricultural lands, so uh, many families lost their land, lost their livelihood, and it disconnected the village not only from Jerusalem, but also from a huge uh, agriculture area of Al-Walaje farmers that uh, became practically uh, inaccessible. So that's when I first arrived in the village for the demonstrations against the barrier. The demonstrations were not successful. The barrier has been constructed, but I stayed in touch with people and with the community. And uh, in the last few years, this uh, threat of demolitions has become actually so severe that it's threatening the existence of the Wallachia community in Jerusalem. Mm. You know, for people who haven't seen that barrier, the wall, really, can you describe it? Because it really, it, it cuts, it slices right through uh, Jerusalem. It cuts right through the West Bank. I mean, tell us about it how high it is, what it looks like. So roughly speaking, generally speaking, the barrier is uh, either a concrete wall or, or a fence, eight meters tall. And uh, it's, a, it's a huge project in a, or a construction project in any, in any sense of the word. You know, uh, it costs... Uh, many, many billions of shekels to construct. It created a huge, even environmental damage. It's, a, it's also, a, you know, if you, if you just put it, I don't know, between two entities, you put a barrier between, I don't know, there's a barrier between uh, Israel and Egypt, okay? So you can say that's what countries do. You can like it or dislike it, and it causes whatever damage it causes, but that's the way things are. In the case of, uh, of West Bank and especially Jerusalem, it became also, you know, uh, uh, something that creates huge damage to the occupied population. And in, maybe in Jerusalem, it comes to an extreme because, as you mentioned, Jerusalem is a densely populated area. So it's not some kind of open space that suddenly a barrier was constructed in but it's cutting through neighborhoods, through residential areas. It's built up, uh, this huge concrete wall can be built up smack against uh, people's uh, windows. It separates uh, people from where they used to work or from where they would go to school or even from relatives. In Walaje, uh, as I said, being so close to the built up area. So yeah, it's, uh, it feels when you're in the village, it feels like you're, you're actually in a cage. It was uh, um, 
built on uh, uh, olive groves, on, uh, on, on vegetable uh, plots, uh, created huge economical uh, damage. Yeah, that's, uh, that's how it looks. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I, when I look at it, you know, from a height, it looks like a, a scar or a wound cutting through Jerusalem. I think that's, that's a very uh, adequate analogy. You know, it's an Israeli decision, it's Israeli policy. Uh, Israel uh, made sure to, you know, that, that it doesn't really pay the price. I mean, the, the Palestinians suffer for it much more than Israelis do. But I think it's a wound for everyone who lives here. Uh, it's a wound for uh, Palestinians mainly. It's a wound for Israelis. It's the wound for Israel. It's uh, something that uh, maybe Israelis don't even realize the big price. Uh, they are also paying for it. Mm. Sheikh Jarrah, that, that neighborhood in East Jerusalem, it's received a, a fair amount of international coverage. I mean, we've seen footage of settlers moving in and occupying Palestinian homes and some of those homes being demolished. But, but El Walaje, uh, really very little coverage. Why do you think that is? Right, so maybe uh, we'll, we need to also uh, <laughs> detail like what's happening in Walaje. In Walaje today, there's roughly a uh, thousand people, roughly 150 homes in the Jerusalem part, sorry, of Walaje, a thousand people in the roughly 150 homes. And uh, uh, there have been demolition orders, uh, demolitions also for decades, that's, a, that's an oppressive policy, and the people who lose their home, they suffer a lot. But the rate of it was something that didn't threat uh, the community as a whole, its, its existence. And uh, in 2016, Israel changed legislation and increased budgets for home demolitions in order to create a situation that home demolitions against Palestinians are much more aggressive. When I say Palestinians, I mean Palestinians in the state of Israel. This legislation uh, was not in the West Bank, but in the state of Israel, because of the annexation, East Jerusalem and uh, Al-Walaje are under this legislation. And then, then this combination of very aggressive punishment against construction without a permit, and the complete lack of a master plan in Walje creates a huge crisis. So since 2016, 80 demolition orders have been issued. That's more than half of the homes in the Jerusalem part of Walje. Of these 30 homes have been demolished and the families who lost their home, they cannot get another home. They have to either, they're, they're pushed out of Walje and out of Jerusalem to places like Bethlehem. Uh, or they have to move in with their parents, uh, young people who want to get married, they cannot build a home for themselves because they know it will get demolished. So maybe they also postpone their marriage. It's like a whole community in limbo or, or in threat. And the, the demolition orders, which have not been uh, executed yet, the current 50, uh, that's because uh, of court appeals. And uh, there is a crucial hearing at the Supreme Supreme Court scheduled for uh, the end of this month, uh, March 30th, that everyone is very, there's lots of tension in anticipation for what will take place in the court because really it can determine, God forbid, uh, wide scale uh, demolitions. Wh why it's not receiving the same attention as Sheikh Jarrah? So 
you know, first and foremost, I think in, in Sheikh Jarrah, the, the, the local community, the Palestinians, the threatened families by eviction, they did a very good job at protesting both in the street and in social media. And uh, it had to do with food organizing and with a determination like facing police violence. They were able to, you know, not to be broken by it. And then many other things came together. But uh, first and foremost, that's the key. In Walaje, uh, it's not like that. It's a very quiet community. Really, it's a, the threat is terrible for everyone there, but they are not going on protests and uh, things like that. So it's much more quiet. Actually, I think everywhere you look in East Jerusalem, there are parts of neighborhoods, uh, dozens of families, sometimes even more, that are threatened uh, by all kinds of policies, including home demolitions. And that's a very acute problem currently uh, of, uh, because of Israeli policy. You mentioned that Supreme Court decision coming up uh, at the end of the month. What would be the best outcome for the, uh, the people of Al-Walaja and, and how hopeful are you that outcome may be achieved? Right. So everyone, you know, you come to people and you tell them, look, Israel chose to annex this village, made it, make it into a neighborhood out of its own choice. No one forced it to do so. And the, the neighborhood was there when Israel annexed it. And then Israel decided not to give it an outline plan. And now Israel is doing this very, very aggressive demolition. So, you know, I speak to Israelis. No one is able to justify it. Most people even say, okay, this must be stopped. This, this policy must be changed. So our, you know, intuitively, we would want the Supreme Court to tell the state, look, this is completely uh, illogical, completely immoral. You must uh, make an outline plan for this, uh, for this neighborhood. Thing is, the courts in Israel don't do that. They, they, they say that planning policy is an issue of the planning authorities. They don't tell the state where to make a plan and where not to make a plan. So unfortunately, we cannot hope for that. What we can hope for is for the court to extend a freeze on demolition orders. The, the, this appeal was uh, initiated uh, three, four years ago, and it's uh, it's it has frozen roughly 40 home demolitions. So to, to extend the freeze and send a very strong message to the state that the court is not going to allow demolitions to take place and that it expects planning authorities to actually uh, go forward with either making a plan or allowing uh, Walaje to make a plan for itself and get it approved. So that's what we hope for. What do we expect? I, we do not know. We are very hopeful. Uh, one, because the situation is so extreme, it cannot be justified. Two, because uh, we can somehow hope that uh, the Israeli courts do not want to have it on their responsibility, like uh, some kind of another big uh, issue of like Sheikh Jarrah, of uh, uprooting dozens of families. And uh, the, the village has been doing all that it could. So it initiated an outline plan. It's speaking with the planning authorities. It's trying to, uh, you know, every, every argument, every difficulty that the authorities pose against planning, the village tries to 
find a, a, a response uh, and so on. Um, and that's what uh, they will show the court on March 30th. You know, demolition of homes, a, a wall that separates people from their farmland, planning applications ignored, building permits denied, set of violence that goes unpunished while the IDF stands by. This is really at odds with the democratic values that Israel prides itself on, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I, as I said earlier, Israel calls itself, views itself as a Jewish and democratic state. And uh, when I look at uh, my life, you know, I can say I, I, my life, I live as a citizen in a democratic state, practically all terms. For Palestinians, it is not like that. They are occupied. And the occupation and democracy uh, do, not, do not go together. This is something that Israel has chosen not to resolve, and Palestinians pay the price for it. Mm. But Israel pays a price too, in terms of its reputation internationally. You know, the, the stories and the videos that come out and the situation with Al-Walaja, it, it, it's not a good look for Israel, a country that proclaims itself as a democracy, the only democracy in, in the region, it says. Yeah, definitely, uh, and um, and for for some Israelis, I mean, not 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 a few Israelis, for many Israelis, this is a, this is a concern, like how how uh, we are viewed and the, how our state is viewed internationally. I must say that we cannot, like in my opinion, it's not the main issue. The the main issue is uh, how Israel, you know, like Palestinians demand their rights and Israelis decide they don't want to continue uh, to oppress people and deprive them of their basic human rights. And how together we allow, you know, both Israelis and Palestinians to live a life as people should uh, live it and uh, to enjoy self-determination. And, uh, and everything. Uh, if the international community uh, wants to help us, you know, in my eyes, it's great. Uh, so far, things uh, that have been done didn't change the situation. Mm. You know, Amnesty published a report at the beginning of February. It's titled Israel's Apartheid Against Palestinians. It's caused a lot of controversy. Is it fair comment, or as some critics have called it, it's anti-Semitism, the Amnesty report? So I, I, for, for Israeli, for the Israeli government, I think they, they, they found out that the, the easiest way to respond to criticism is call it anti-Semitism. So I, I think clearly, clearly criticism, I mean, anti-Semites certainly can criticize Israel. But criticism of Israel cannot be uh, automatically called uh, anti-Semitism. And uh, the, the Israeli policies against Palestinians, no one can justify them. Uh, Israel, when it needs to justify its policies, it speaks about security, it speaks about terrorism. But that has nothing to do, for example, with uh, home demolition or with prevention of uh, outlying plants and then demolishing people's homes. So I think the, the crucial question for, for people who are critical of Israeli policy is, uh, are we trying to change policy? Are we critical of the policy? Or are we saying the regime needs, needs to change? The, we're critical of the whole regime and we demand that it changes. 
And uh, I, for one, in, uh, you know, especially in this case in Wallace, I'm trying, I'm focusing on changing the policies. And, uh, and since I, in order to advocate for an outline plan, I, I deliberate with planning authorities, with the Knesset, with the municipality, with other Israeli citizens, then uh, it means that I have some hope, the Israeli court, I have some hope that I can change this policy. So as long as I have this hope, uh, I guess I cannot join the, the voices uh, of calling Israel an apartheid state. Mm-hmm. But uh, Aviv, what, what is the way forward? I mean, can you, dare you, dare we all be hopeful of solutions to Al-Walaja and, and the bigger story it tells, whether you call it apartheid or not, uh, people are being driven off their land, they're losing their homes. As I say, can you be hopeful or, or, or do you think that the situation is such that the, the settler movement the, the powerful impetus of making Jerusalem a Jewish city, that that will simply continue to prevail? Right. Uh, I think that's the crucial question. Yeah, not what name we call it, but uh, where are we going? How will people's lives uh, look like? So, you know, if, if I zoom in on Walaje, I, I'm very, very worried. I, I do have hope, you know, just what you asked earlier about Sheikh Jarrah, Sheikh Jarrah, uh, uh, or at least uh, 40 families in Sheikh Jarrah that were at risk of uh, eviction, they succeeded in, uh, in protecting themselves, in defending themselves, and it, the, the, the chances looked very, very slim. So I have hope that in the case of Walaja we will succeed. Do I have hope to, for, you know, for a, a deeper change that will affect all Palestinians and the Israelis as well? I don't have today a strategy or, or something I can say, look, in five years' time, we're going to be in a much better situation of equality and prosperity and uh, security for everyone. I don't see it happening. Like the, I'm sure, From my understanding, the problems have to do with political will, with, with the Israeli will to continue and occupy uh, Palestinians. And uh, the forces that want to see that change, we, we, are, too, we are too weak. So uh, I, I don't have, <laughs> in that sense, sense, I don't have hope to offer. Everything changes. So I don't know what will be a decade from now. I don't know what will be 20 years from now. But as a political activist, I cannot offer like a story how this is going to change. I do not know. I know I'm going to continue in the work towards change. And uh, perhaps our Wallace will be the beginning of that move towards a larger change. From, we say in Hebrew, actually, it's an Arabic proverb, from your lips to the doors of heaven. So, uh, the, the, uh, yeah, that, that, that's a dream. I hope it will come true. For now, uh, I'm, I am, I am, not only I, we're focusing uh, on, uh, on Wallace and on preventing the home demolitions and getting an outline plan approved. Aviv, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was Aviv Tatarsky, a researcher with Jerusalem-based NGO Ir Amim. To find out more about the work Aviv and his colleagues are doing, go to iramim.org.il. That's ir-amim.org.il. 
We welcome your comments. In addition to our podcasts, which I'm pleased to say have a rapidly growing global audience and are available on several platforms, including Amazon Music, the Arab Digest daily newsletter features the very best of MENA analysts. If you'd like a free trial to the newsletter, simply go to ArabDigest.org. And if you enjoy what you find and want to join the club after your trial period has ended, we're offering special rates to students, academics, and retirees. And subscriptions are now available to university libraries. Check it out on ArabDigest.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading from independent sources.